0: Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, March 31st, 2022. Before we begin, I just want to mention that with God's help, a week from tonight, which is April 7th, we will study together at 8 p.m. After that, there are a number of scheduled changes. And I would ask you please to look at the emails that we're sending out check our Facebook page, check the website for all of the changes in schedule that are coming up after next week. Next week, the 7th, we will study at 8, but after that, there are some changes, and please see that. If you're not getting the emails, please let me know, and I'll be happy to send you the information. This Shabbos is, of course, Shabbos, It is also Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the Jewish month of Nisan. This is the month in which Pesach occurs. Passover is on the 15th of Nisan. So that means it's two weeks from the Shabbos. And we celebrate Rosh Chodesh on Shabbos with special prayers, as well as a special Torah reading in honor of Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the Jewish month. And we have another special Torah reading this Shabbos, the fourth of the four special portions that we read before Pesach, and this is called Parshas HaKodesh, the portion regarding the new moon. When we get to Pesach, at the Passover Seder, we read in the Haggadah the following passage. The Haggadah says, You might think that the mitzvah to tell the story of the Exodus from Egypt should take place on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan, which this year is this Shabbos. You might think that's when we should tell the story of the Haggadah. But it turns out, no, really we wait until Pesach? We want to tell the story on the same night that we have the matzah, the maror, the bitter herbs, and that, of course, is on Pesach, the 15th day of Nisan. So we tell the story, we say the Haggadah on that night as well. That's a very strange passage because the word yachal, you might think, indicates that it makes sense to you, that you might legitimately think that the mitzvah of telling the story of going out of Egypt should take place this Shabbos. And the matzah and the marar will be in two weeks from now. But how would you possibly think that? Who would possibly think that the story of going out of Egypt should be told on Rosh Chodesh the beginning of the month, when Passover is not for another two weeks. What do we mean when we say, Yachal? you might think? As I just mentioned a moment ago, this Shabbos, we have a special Torah reading. Not only Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the Jewish month, but Parshas Chodesh the portion concerning the new month, which starts with these words, hachodesh Hazel lachem rosh Chodeshim," This is the mitzvah, the command, to follow the lunar calendar. That which we all know, that our Jewish calendar follows the lunar calendar. Yes, of course, it's corrected by the solar calendar with adding an additional month, Adar Sheni, Second Adar, but let's leave that to the side for a moment. That's a detail. But the fact that we follow generally the lunar calendar, that has its source in the portion that we read this Shabbos. HaChodesh Rosh And we do that as the parsha tells us that we read on this Shabbos in honor of Pesach, which falls during this month. And this commandment, this mitzvah, that we are to start following the lunar calendar was given to us by God on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the anniversary of which is this Shabbos, the first day of the month of Nisan. That's the day that God commanded that we follow the lunar calendar. And this shift to a lunar calendar is in fact the beginning of the Exodus. Now, it's finally actualized when the entire Jewish people walks out of Egypt on the 15th of Nisan, two weeks later, which we observe as Pesach. But the process of redemption begins on Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the month of Nisan, And that process beginning on Rosh Chodesh is so strong, it's so evident that it would have made sense to tell the story of the Exodus on that anniversary, the anniversary of the first day of Nisan, when the process begins. And that's what we mean to say in the Haggadah, it would make sense to tell the story of the Exodus on the first day of the month of Nisan, because that's when the Exodus started to happen. However, we say in the Haggadah, we want to wait until we have the matzah there, the maror there, and that's on the 15th. But in order to understand the significance of the first of Nisan, the anniversary of which is this Shabbos, and the significance of the command given that day to observe and utilize the lunar calendar as our Jewish calendar, let's first turn to the mechanics of how the lunar month works And then let's explore why it is so crucial for our lives as Jews in general and how it relates to Passover and begins the redemption in particular that we follow the lunar calendar. Let's start with this term, molad. Last Shabbos we announced the Molad for the month of Nisan. Every Jewish month on the Shabbos before the month starts, so it was last Shabbos because this Shabbos is Rosh Chodesh. We say the Birchaz HaChodesh, the blessing for the new month, which we discussed before. And as part of saying the blessing for the new month, we announce the molad. And the molad for the month of Nisan is this Friday, tomorrow, this Friday at 4.36 p.m. Jerusalem time. Now, if you've been in daf you will know that every month I announce and explain that word molad as the actual beginning of the new lunar cycle. The word molad means birth or rebirth. And every month I explain that this is the actual beginning of the new lunar cycle. Well, I have a confession to make that is not exactly, precisely accurate. So I'm going to explain. It's a little technical, but it's very important to understand and we will see that it leads to a magnificent understanding of our role in this world. Okay, so what is the molad and why does Rosh Chodesh not coincide with it? If I'm describing that it's the beginning of the lunar month, How is it that the molad this month is on Friday, but Rosh Kodesh is not till the next day on Saturday? Shouldn't they coincide? The sun and the moon appear to us to move around the earth. Of course, that's not true. The earth revolves around the sun, the moon revolves around the earth, but The way it appears to us on Earth is that the sun and the moon are revolving around the Earth, but they do so at different speeds. When the sun and the moon are on opposite sides of the Earth, what we see here on Earth is the full moon. As the earth gets between the sun, I'm sorry, as the moon and the sun come closer together, we see less of the moon until finally the moon disappears from view. We call this conjunction, the conjunction. Or the Hebrew term is kibbutz. And then the cycle begins again. Now, from conjunction to conjunction, from kibbutz to kibbutz, that is a lunar month. The problem with following this in a calendar is that it's not the same length of time every month. The actual cycle of the moon from kibbutz to kibbutz, from conjunction to conjunction, varies every month. And it can vary up to 12 hours in how long it is. Now, this was known to our rabbis in the Talmud 2000 years ago. So, if you're going to have a calendar based on a lunar cycle, you could either determine Rosh Chodesh the beginning of the lunar month visually by eyewitnesses who will come to court to testify we have seen the new moon in the sky and that's the way it was done in former times Or what you could do is you could calculate the average length of a lunar cycle and you could use that as the length of the month. And that is, in fact, what we have done for the last 1,600 years since we have had a set Jewish calendar. And that is molad. The molad, which translates as the birth or the rebirth of the moon, it's not the actual rebirth of this month's lunar cycle. It is based on the average length of a lunar cycle. Now, our rabbis in the Talmud, knew a very great deal at a very sophisticated level the patterns of the moon and other constellations. And in the Talmud, the rabbis tell us that the molad, the average length of a lunar cycle is 29 days, 12 hours, 44 minutes, and 3.3 seconds. That's what the rabbis in the Talmud today. If you ask a scientist today, an astrologer, an astronomer, scientists today calculate the MOLAD, the average length of the lunar cycle, as twenty-nine days, twelve hours, forty-four minutes, and two point nine seconds, a difference of four tenths of a second. But just to be fair to the scientists, I don't want anyone to think that they're doing sloppy work. Scientists today are only utilizing data over the last 150 years, because that's as long as these records have been kept. So it's understandable that their figure is not as accurate as the rabbis from 2,000 years ago because they had a much longer period of time over which to figure out the average. Okay, but it's pretty close. So what's the relationship between the molad and Rosh Chodesh? Well... It's not so simple because remember at the moment of the kibbutz, the actual conjunction, or the molad, which is the average time of when the kibbutz would occur, the moon at that moment is invisible. That's because the sun and the Earth are in conjunction, so we don't see anything of the moon. The new moon, that smallest sliver that we call the new moon, can only be seen later, sometimes a whole day later. That's when the new moon is first visible, and that is called a young moon or phasis. P-H-A-S-I-S, phasis. Phasis is when the new moon becomes visible. In the Torah portion that we read, especially this Shabbos, we read the following words. By Hashem, El Moshevel, Aron, Beretz, Mitzrayim, God spoke to Moshe and to Aron in the land of Egypt saying as follows, This month should be for you the first of all the months. You should follow the lunar calendar. And the famous commentator Rashi says as follows, God showed Moshe and Aaron the new moon in the sky. And God said to Moshe, When the moon is renewed and looks like this, like you could point to it with your finger, when it looks like that, That's Rosh Chodesh. That's when you should proclaim it Rosh Chodesh. Because Rashi goes on to say, Moshe al-Molad halvana.'" Moshe was unclear about what exactly he was supposed to see in the sky in order to be able to proclaim that this is Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the next Jewish month. The heralot be'etzba es Halavana God showed him, so to speak, with his finger. God doesn't have a finger. But so to speak, God showed him, Moshe, look at that. When you see that, Kazev Rosh Chodesh. When you see that, you proclaim that as the beginning of the new new month. Now, what did Moshe see in the sky that God pointed to? Well, he didn't see the kibbutz. Certainly, he didn't see the molad. What Moshe saw was the faces. Moshe saw the first sliver of the visible moon. So, when in former times, each month, witnesses came to Sanhedrin, the great court in Jerusalem, and they would testify that we saw the new moon in the sky. They weren't testifying to Kibbutz. They weren't testifying to Molad. They were testifying to Phasis when the new moon was visible. So, and remember, Phases is later than the conjunction, the kibbutz. So Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the Jewish month, might be one or even sometimes two days after the kibbutz, after the actual conjunction. So while the kibbutz in former times and the molad for us today is a guideline to when Rosh Chodesh is, it does not determine Rosh Chodesh. Let's listen to that verse one more time. God spoke to Moshe and Aaron while they were still in the land of Egypt, Lamor. Remember, as I mentioned before, this is the command given by God to the Jewish people. By the way, this is the first mitzvah given to the entire Jewish people through Moshe. And it occurs while the Jewish people are still slaves, while they are still in Egypt. The verse says, Be-aretz mitzrayim, God commanded this while they were in Egypt. As I said to you before, it occurred on the first day of the month of Nisan, two weeks before they left. And it's important that the Torah tells us that this mitzvah was given to the Jewish people while they were still slaves, before they left Egypt. HaChodesh hazeh lochem. This mitzvah to observe the lunar calendar should be lochem for you. What does that mean for you? our rabbis understand that the message of this is it is up to us to proclaim Rosh Chodesh. It is up to us, the judges of the great court in Jerusalem, to decide when Rosh Chodesh will be. Because in fact, That's the mark of freedom. The end of slavery. Because for a slave, time really doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what time it is. It doesn't really matter what day of the week it is. It doesn't even matter what day of the month it is or which month it is. I'm dependent on my master. Whatever my master says, that's what I've got to do. There's no such thing as time off. Freedom means time matters. It means one day is different from another. One month is different from another. And what God is telling the Jewish people, two weeks before they actually walk out of Egypt, your process of becoming free Your process of transformation from slavery to freedom starts now. You are in charge of your calendar. You are in charge of your time. You will decide when the new month begins. There will be an astronomical guideline of a new moon, but it's up to you to proclaim it. That's the way in which Rosh Chodesh Nisan the first day of the month of Nisan, begins the process of exodus, begins the process of redemption, as it begins the process of transformation from slave to freedom. This is a gift that is given to us by God on this Rosh Chodesh, that we commemorate this Shabbos. And it expresses that we become God's partner. God established Shabbos, the Sabbath, to commemorate the creation of the universe. We establish the date of Pesach because we establish which day Rosh Chodesh is, so 15 days after that is when Pesach is, we establish when Pesach is to commemorate the creation of Am Yisrael, of the Jewish nation, of the Jewish people. And that's why it would make sense to tell the story of the Exodus on Rosh Chodesh, because that's the day that God gave us this gift that began the transformation from slavery to freedom. Our rabbis in the Mishnah describe the procedure of how this would happen every month. Witnesses would come to the Sanhedrin to the great court in Jerusalem and they would testify that they saw the new moon in the sky and they would be cross-examined by the judges. Which way was appointing? Where did you see it? Excuse me. Where did you see it? How did it look? And then the judges would confer among themselves. And then Rosh Bezdin, the head of the court, would stand and he would say, Omer, today is sanctified as Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new month. V'chol onin achara, And all of the people who were assembled in that great courthouse would repeat after him, would respond to him, and say, "Mekudesh, mekudesh. It is sanctified. It is sanctified." And that's what makes it Rosh Chodesh. So much so that even God says, "I will follow your decision." God says. I, God, will follow your calendar that you decide. God says, I will judge the day, I will judge the world on the day that you proclaim is Rosh Hashanah. I will forgive on the day you say it's Yom Kippur. In other words, Shabbos, is set by God every seventh day. And when we say our prayer on Shabbos, the Amidah prayer, and the middle paragraph that expresses the holiness of the day of Shabbos, we end it with the blessing, Baruch Ata Hashem, Blessed are you, God. Mekadesh HaShabbos. You sanctified Shabbos. God sanctified Shabbos in commemoration of creating the world On Yom Tov, which of course is determined by Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month, we set that date. The Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, the great court in Jerusalem. And God follows what we set. And that's why on Yom Tov, the blessing that we say in the middle of the Amidah is a little different. We say, Baruch Ata Hashem, Blessed are you, blessed are you God. Me'kadesh Yisrael Vahazmanim. You sanctified Israel and Israel sanctifies the date. It comes from us. The first mitzvah given to the Jewish people while we were still slaves in Egypt is God says to us, you are no longer slaves two weeks before you leave. You are princes and princesses. God says to us, you are my partner in ordering the universe. God says to us, you abide by my decisions, the mitzvot, the commandments, and I will abide by your decisions in setting the Jewish calendar. I want to share another layer of significance in following a calendar based on the cycles of the moon. The sun symbolizes the physical world physical pursuits. The Hebrew word for a solar year is shana. The word shana is a Hebrew word. It means repetition. Because the solar year, the solar calendar is stable. Every year, each day, sunrise and sunset is the same as last year. And it will be the same next year. It's regular. It's routine. From day to day, there is no perceptible change. You always know where you will find the sun in the sky. It's like nature. It's like gravity. It's like planting and harvesting. It's immutable. It's regular. The sun represents the physical world, the natural world. The moon represents spiritual life. The moon is somewhat mysterious. It's spontaneous. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not there. It appears in different parts of the sky at different times. The moon represents renewal. The word molad, I mentioned before, means rebirth. The word chodesh, which is the Hebrew word for a lunar month, the word chodesh is related to the word kidush, which means renewal the moon gets smaller and smaller and seems to disappear but then there's an expansion there's an increase and that's a symbol of spiritual life the spiritual life of a jew and the spiritual life of the jewish people as a whole and in fact, Jewish history follows the pattern of the moon, not the sun. The Churban, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The expulsion from Spain. The Holocaust. Each of these terrible phases is followed by rebirth. Flourishing. chidush renewal. And for every one of us, at our darkest moments, we should remember the pattern of the moon is also the pattern of our lives. Every one of us. I want to share one last layer to contemplate as this new month, the Jewish month of Nisan, begins this Shabbos. And what I want to share with you is based largely on a lecture by one of my teachers, a very, very great person, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, a blessed memory. The month of Nisan which begins this Shabbos, is the month of our past redemption from Egypt. We observe Pesach in this month, the middle of the month. And, according to one opinion in the Talmud, will also be the month of our future redemption, the coming of Mashiach, the beginning of the Messianic era. Our sages tell us, Benisa Nigalu, In the month of Nisan, we were redeemed from Egypt. And in the month of Nisan, we will be redeemed in the future. So, based on this understanding of this month we're about to enter as a month of past and future redemption, it's appropriate now to clarify what exactly is it that we believe about that future redemption that we so anxiously await? We express this belief in the famous well-known line that starts with the words, I believe with a complete faith in the coming of the Mashiach, in the coming of Messiah in the Messianic era. Which means at some point in the future, a person will come and initiate a new era in human history. And that era will bring about Gilui a revelation of God's presence in the world that we do not have today because in our time and for the last 2,000 years, God's presence has been hidden. We've discussed this before. Hester punim. We experience the world as if God's presence is hidden, not absent, but hidden. But in the Messianic era, God's presence will be revealed and there will be the opportunity for every single human being who wishes to come closer to God in a way that is extremely difficult and challenging today. Now, that is a belief in a future historical event that has not yet happened. But there is a second aspect to this concept, and it's expressed in the next part of this famous line, One more time. I believe with a complete faith in the coming of the Messiah. But here's the second part. And even though the Mashiach is delayed and we've been waiting a long, long time. Nonetheless, I anxiously await is coming every day. What does that mean? Well, you may hear some people say that means that every single day I expect and await Mashiach to come today. That is not correct, according to classical Jewish sources. For example, the Talmud tells us Mashiach will not come on Shabbos. Mashiach will not come on Yom Tov. And, because people are busy preparing for Shabbos on Friday, Mashiach will not come on a Friday. And Mashiach will not come on an Arab Yom Tov because the Jewish people are too busy getting ready for Shabbos and Yom Tov. So in other words, this belief is not a belief that I believe and, and, and feel that Mashiach will come today. It's not a statement about when Mashiach will come. That's a mistake a lot of people make, a misconception. It's not about when Mashiach will come. It is about the attitude that I'm required to have today. It's an attitude that now, right now at this moment, And every day, I must, I do, anxiously await whenever it will be that Mashiach will come. Let me explain it to you with the following story. And I've shared this story with some of you before. Many years ago, When my son was a little boy, we noticed there was a lump on his neck. So I took him to our pediatrician and the doctor examined our son. He went out for a few minutes and then he asked to speak to me alone And he said to me, maybe it's nothing, but you should have a specialist look at it. And I have made an appointment for you with a specialist. And that doctor is waiting for you now. You should go now to see this specialist. My heart dropped. We went to this specialist, to this doctor immediately. The doctor removed this lump in his office and said to us he had to send it to pathology in order to know what it was. And he said we would have the answer in seven days. those seven days were the longest seven days of my life. Because I was constantly, day and night, awaiting the results. Now, I knew that I was not going to get the answer right away. So it's not as if I thought to myself, perhaps the doctor will call today on the second day or third day. I knew I wasn't going to get the answer today. But during those seven days, I missed not having the answer. I needed that answer. I wanted that answer more than anything else in the world. And there was not a moment during those seven days that I forgot that I was waiting for that answer. I was aware at every moment that I was missing something until that call finally came. Thank God it turned out to be benign, required nothing further, but it was one of the most difficult weeks of my life. But that's what it means to await Mashiach. Until Mashiach comes, until the Messianic era arrives, we are in galus, We are in exile. No matter how free we are, no matter how secure we are, no matter how we feel about ourselves, even if we are in Israel, Gullus, exile at the deepest level, is not just persecution. It's not even geographical dispersal. Gullus is distance from God. Now, that distance from God also means there is persecution, and there is wandering, and there is assimilation, but those are symptoms of the essence of what exile is, being distant from God. Anxiously awaiting Mashiach and the end of that exile and the beginning of redemption means that I live now with the reality that we are missing something. That we are awaiting it because until we get that, we are not whole. And both parts of this are necessary. Because if a person believes Mashiach will come one day, but I'm not anxiously awaiting it, I'm not missing anything now. That means that I see myself now, here in Montreal, in Hampstead. I'm comfortable. I'm whole. But that's a mistake. The truth is, I'm out of place. I am alienated in a profound sense. As Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg expresses it, there is no greater destructiveness for the Jewish soul than to lose the awareness of the bitterness of our present exile. And that applies today in Israel, and it certainly applies today in Hampstead. So that's what we mean when we talk about Mashiach. That's what we know. But there are three things that we do not know. Who, when, and what. Who will Mashiach be? Well, we do know it will be a person, a human being. It will be someone who is a descendant of David Amela, King David. We know that it will be a tzaddik, or perhaps a tzaddikes, a righteous person. But beyond that, we do not know who it will be. We do not know when Mashiach will come. Our sages tell us that they criticize anyone who tries to predict the date or the time when Mashiach will come. Many, many years ago, my kids were in school and they learned at the school that they attended at that time a song, Have No Fear, Mashiach will be here this year. Maybe you've heard that song. That song and the sentiment it expresses is not in accordance with the classical, normative, traditional sources. And beyond that, when those kinds of claims are made, and then, of course, they pass without coming true, people start to think of it as a joke. God forbid. So it's not the right thing to do to predict when Mashiach will come. And the last thing we do not know is what. What will be when Mashiach comes? What will the world be like? Well, so here's what we do know. We know that all of the prophets of Israel prophesized about Mashiach. And they all agree in their prophecies that there will be peace in the world. Well, that's the first way to know that Mashiach has not yet come. Unfortunately. There will be peace in the world. There will be religious freedom for Jews everywhere. That will be a consequence of the revealing of God's presence in the world. That's what we know. But what we do not know is how to understand, for example, the famous prophecy of Isaiah, Yeshayahu Hanavi, who tells us that then in the Messianic era, the wolf and the lamb will dwell together in peace. Now, what does that mean? Is that a literal statement? That There will be a new natural world order. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no difficulty. Life will be miraculous. There'll be no temptation to sin. Is that what it means? Or is Isaiah's prophecy a metaphor? In other words, life will basically go on the way that it goes on now. You'll still have to change your tires. You'll still have to shovel the snow in the winter. You'll still have to pay income tax. But there will be peace, which I'm not minimizing. There will be freedom of persecution. I'm not minimizing that. But basically, life will go on. People will get sick. People will pass away. People will get better. Basically, it will be like the way we know it today with a few changes. Now, that is actually a dispute in the Talmud that is not resolved. We don't know the answer, and we will not know the answer until it happens. The Rambam, Maimonides, is the only one who codifies his opinion of how to decide that dispute, and he decides in favor of the second opinion, the more natural, normal opinion. Okay, that's the Rambam, but we don't know. So those are the things that we do not know. Who, when, and what. But regardless of what we do not know, Mashiach, the Messiah, Geula, the Redemption, must be a reality for us now. So I want to leave you with this story. Now, it's not a dramatic story. It's not a story that you can make a slogan about. It's not a story that you can have a news conference about. It's very, very subtle. But it expresses in a very deep and magnificent way what I think is the authentic Jewish belief that we should cultivate. As I mentioned, this Shabbos, we're going to begin the month of Nisan, the month of our past redemption, hopefully the month of our future redemption. After the month of Nisan comes the month of Iyar. Rosh Chodesh Iyar, the first day of the month of Iyar, occurs on the day after the month of Nisan ends. This is a story about Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. I've told you many stories about him before. He was the foremost authority in Jewish law, in the previous generation. It once happened that on Rosh Chodesh Iyar, the first day of the Jewish month of Iyar, someone was driving Ramosha Feinstein in the car. And Ramosha Feinstein was sitting in the passenger seat. And as they were driving, Ramosha was sitting there. He gave a sigh. Hi. Hey, that's it. A cracks. He didn't say anything. Just a sigh. The young man who was driving him said to Ramosha. What's wrong? Why did you sigh? Is, is something wrong? And so of Moshe said, Today is Rosh Chodesh Iyar, the first day of the month of Iyar. And that means that Nisan is over. And Mashiach did not yet come. And that means that we need to wait until next year for the next chance for Mashiach to come. If Mashiach is going to come in the month of Nisan, it's going to be another eleven months. So he sighed. Notice please, that's it, that's the whole story. But notice please, Ramoshe did not say anything until he was asked. He didn't volunteer this observation. He didn't feel he had to put up a sign or make promises or somehow insist that God bring Mashiach to force God's hand. Nothing like that. That was not Ramosha's way. Simply for Ramosha, it was a reality. He felt it. And during that month of Nisan, he felt that this could be the time when Mashiach comes. And when that month ended, he felt a letdown because of the opinion that the next chance was 11 months in the future. Because Rav Moshef felt, that until Mashiach comes, we are not whole. The truth is, we need Mashiach to come. And we do pray to God to bring Mashiach quickly. Perhaps more than any year in memory, this Nisan, starting this Shabbos, begins with an urgent need for redemption. Redemption for Israel. Redemption from the threat of terrorism. Redemption for Ukraine. Redemption from the fear from Iran. In so many ways, we really need Mashiach to come. And so as this Nisan begins, let's try and live with this reality to recognize how much we miss until the Mashiach arrives, until the future redemption becomes our present. My friends, I want to wish you a great night and a superb Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, and a wonderful month of Nisan, hopefully filled with redemption and joy. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.